Anyways, uh, Jonah's been working. Now, he wasn't at first, was he? And we know the account of Jonah. Jonah was uh, commanded by God to go to those wicked people of Nineveh and bring the gospel. Tell them to repent. Had a message. But he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. And I know too often times we, we unpack this, we, uh, uh, we, we like to, to look at what others aren't doing, right? Guilty. We, we all fall into this category, right? And yet, as we read through Jonah and we unpack Jonah, we should do so with a mirror to our face. Uh, because this text reveals very much about who we are. And yet, Jonah knowing who God is, didn't want to take the message to the enemy, to the people who were Israel's sworn enemy, that wicked nation, because he knew God was a God of mercy. He knew that if he took this message, this call to repentance, to change their ways, to turn to the Lord, God in His mercy would extend the grace needed. And so therefore, he didn't want to go. He bought a ticket, headed elsewhere. God brings a storm. Has Jonah come to the point of recognizing that uh, he's running, he's fleeing, he knows it. Tells those mariners that if they throw him overboard, the storm will stop. And sure enough, as they do, the storm ceases and fear grips those mariners. And think about this is this was their livelihood. These guys sailed all the time. Storms didn't bother them. This storm bothered them. But what bothered them more was when God stopped the storm when Jonah hits the water. We also talked about the prepared fish and how this fish was specially prepared for Jonah. And three days, three nights, he's in the belly of that fish. And then eventually... It's there that we see his prayer of repentance. Though I don't think there's a complete repentance because we're going to see in chapter 4, I don't want to get too far ahead, but uh, Jonah is still not quite there yet, is he? And again, isn't that kind of like us? Oh, we may have some dramatic moment in our life where God got a hold of us and there was a, there was an, a, a turning from our sin and, and a repentance of such. But guys, this book reminds me very much that there is a need for daily repentance. We don't arrive until we arrive. And yet there's much to be done that our God has called us to do. We don't work to earn favor or grace from God. That's been freely given. But because it's been freely given, we should serve where God calls us to serve. And so we pick up the story of Jonah. And I'll go ahead and read chapter 3 and we'll just kind of rush through the recap of where we left off But follow, if you would, Jonah chapter 3, as it begins. Verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. 
Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, take in, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. <coughs> Father, I pray this morning that you will just give me clarity of thought. I pray that I would simply be your vessel. Lord, that you would use me in spite of me. I pray that you will give us ears to hear. Lord, I ask that you will glorify your name. I pray that you be lifted high and that you draw us near. Lord, I, I pray back your promise that your word will not return void. So Lord, let it accomplish today what it's being sent out to do. Lord, may it have free course, may it run unhindered, may our hearts be its target, and Lord, may it find root, and may it transform us as we go from here. May we go in the power of Christ, more like Christ. So Lord, may we surrender to you this day those sins that easily, easily trip us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you recall, as we were going through, and, and if you have your little notes, you know, you put your little notes in your Bible, you open it up, oh yeah, I got that. We had those little uh, fill-in-the-blank sheets, and so hopefully you've got those. If not, you can jot down these things. Jonah repented, verses 1 through 4, and that's what we looked at last week. This week we're looking at Nineveh repented, verses 5 through 9. And Lord willing, we'll look at next week uh, how God repented, verses 10. A very interesting phrase there. We'll unpack that, Lord willing, as to what all that means. And so you remember last time we focused in on how Jonah arose, as the text said, in verses 1 through 3. And then he obeyed the word. And how important that is for us. There's several things that you find when we go through the book of Jonah. Emphasis upon God. Emphasis upon His Word. Emphasis upon judgment and mercy in judgment. The Word's very important. Jonah rose. He obeyed the Word. Uh, we also uh, talked about how he reached the city. And we talked about that great city. And, and uh, again, making sure that our English translation, uh, that we're clear in its understanding. Because sometimes people read that and it's a little mis, uh, they, they misunderstand. Because Nineveh is so far away from where the fish spit him onto dry land. There's no way he was there on day one. And that's not what the text was saying. On day one, he began to go into the city and proclaim 
the message that God gave him. 60 miles in circumference. Give you a moderate. This would be about like the city in size and population of like Boston. Anybody ever been to Boston? I've never been. I like to go sometime. But anyway, it's, it's, it's like that size. So if you've been, that kind of gives you an idea of what Nineveh was like. And, this, and especially in this time period, and this, what a huge city. And guys, keep in mind, this is the group. This is the ruthless, toothless thugs. I mean, they, they're the ones that would, when they would go into places and just slaughter the, 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 their enemies, they would take their, their skulls and pile them up as victory monuments of, of, their, of their skulls. I mean, this is like uh, what they were known for. This was the capital of Assyria. These guys, when they would also lead people out, they would chain them together and they would put hooks into their flesh and link them to the chains to lead them out. This is brutal. When it talks about the violence that they relented of, the evil that they turned from, we don't really get an understanding. I think probably uh, maybe a modern day thought would be like an ISIS or an Al-Qaeda or, or a group like that, that we, we see that just what we deem as evil and wicked, and it is. But that's the type of people these guys were. And I think it's important for us, church, because too often times we demonize people to the extent that we think they're beyond God's grace. And yet, God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And it's the word of God, it's the mercy of God in judgment, and it's the messenger of God that must take that news to them if there ever is to be repentance, if there ever is to be a turning from that wickedness. And even in our own society, we oftentimes demonize the other side. And that's the way we reference them, the other side. It becomes an us and them mentality. When we need to see the world for, for how God sees it and that it's a mission field. Just like you, just like me, apart from the glorious light of the gospel, our minds were blinded by the little G God of this world. And it's only the glorious light of the gospel that we heard and we received that transforms and changes us. And so how important is it for us to reach the city of LaGrange, to reach the, the population that we're being raised in, the world of today? And so we talked about that. We talked how he preached through the city in verse 4. And on that first, door, on that first day, he entered in and kept walking, proclaiming this message. Eight words in our English, but five in the Hebrew. Now again, that's all that's recorded. I think he said more, no doubt, but this is what we're given in the text. Yet 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown. It's tough when we stretch out our messages like this. I know that, but if you can kind of recall some of those thoughts of, of what's going on. And, and, and there's a great parallel. If you, I encourage you to go back and read chapter 1, and it parallels chapter 3. The way this lays out, it's, it's really neat when you just sort of unpack it. And I know when we do bite size here, bite size there, we kind of lose that big picture. So try to, try to remember some of these things. Think about the very fact that, that Jonah was, was swallowed by a great fish and then spit up on land. And remember how we talked about they worship the half-man, half-fish, half-woman, half-fish. Nancy, y'all remember Nancy? When he was going to Tarshish, uh, they were worshiping Nancy. But anyway, we talked about those things. So again, don't know, but I, I, I would like to think that word had traveled back, maybe even from those mariners. The word had spread about all the 
crazy stuff. You don't, you should have seen what happened on this ship. Man, we were about to die. And then we threw the sky over and then the sea ceased. And, and so I'm sure the word traveled back to the great city. And then here comes in this man who's bleached. Maybe somebody saw him like coming out of the mouth of the fish onto dry land. It looks like a half man, half fish. <gasps> like the gods we worship. But only realizing later that no, your God's a false God. Let me tell you about the true and living God. And so the fear of God grips the people. And that's where we're at in, in today's passage. And so um, they believed the word, the, the word that came to them. They believed it. They believed God. It's interesting. As we see here, Nineveh repented. It says they believed the word. Uh, Jonah repented and Jonah arose, but Nineveh repented and they believed the word and Nineveh sat. So Jonah arose, but Nineveh sat. Check this out. Verse 5, if you would. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Three things here that we'll see in this text. The crowd... And you notice it starts with the crowd. We'll see the crown and we'll see the communication, but we'll get there. Let's, let's focus on the crowd. You know, there's always a crowd, isn't there? There's a crowd that needs to be reached. The Word of God needs to go to the crowd. And this was the culture. This was the, the evil culture. Christian... What's keeping us from taking the message to the crowd? I know what Jonah's reason was. What about that person at work? You just, I can't stand that person. That neighbor that just, you just don't know that neighbor. What they've done to me over the years. I don't know. I don't, I don't know who your Ninevite is in your life. I'm sure uh, you've got a Ninevite. I'm reminded of Jesus' words of pray for our enemies. That's easy said, isn't it? Hard done. Who's your enemy today? Is it those Democrats? I bet it's the Republicans for maybe one of you. I don't know. I just get I don't know. I don't want to know. Who is it? Who's your Ninevite? They need Jesus Christ just as much as you and I need Jesus Christ. And guys, apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, you wouldn't have let me in these doors this morning. I know who Jeremy used to be. And believe me, if you knew who Jeremy used to be in his fullness... You'd, you, you, you'd not want to, you wouldn't have wanted me here this morning. If I'd have walked in looking like my old man, you'd have probably cut eyes at me. You might have even scooted away over in the pew. My father-in-law definitely wouldn't have let me near his daughter. That's, but that would have been smart right there. That would have been smart. But guys, the grace of God changes people. 
And in this case, it changed the crowd. It changed the whole city. The gospel went into a community like that and completely turned it upside down. In fact, the word that's used here is that it overturned. Notice that they, the people believed God. And I think that's very interesting. I highlighted the word God there because, again, here's an emphasis upon God. It wasn't the, it wasn't the man bringing you the message. Guys, it's not about you. It's not about me. But it is about the God we represent. And that should be encouraging to you and me. I don't go in my own strength. You don't go in your own strength. I don't need to be fearful of what man may think. I, may not, I don't need to be fearful of the crowd, their rejection. That's the reason most people give for not sharing their faith. They don't want to be rejected. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the message that you bring. They're rejecting the God that you represent. But how important is it for us to be obedient to what God has called us to do? Instead of fleeing to Tarshish, let's obey the word of God. As Jonah arose and he obeyed, Nineveh repented and they believed the word and they sat. The people fasting put on sackcloth. The crown, we notice here, the king was reached. Now, again, I, I, the text doesn't tell us. I kind of envision that as Jonah came in on day one proclaiming the message and people were beginning on that front side of the city wherever he enters in to begin to hear this, begin to receive this, and probably begins to spread like fire throughout the city so that it eventually, as he goes through, to the, through the city proclaiming this message throughout, that eventually it comes to the king. And we notice how the king receives the word. Notice, as the text says, the people, the crowd, they believed God. They proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. So it didn't matter. It didn't matter what their status was in society. From the rich to the poor. It did not matter who they thought they were. They all saw their need of repentance and faith in the true and living God. Then word came to the king. That's what it says here, verse 6. Then word came to the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. King's sitting in a pretty high seat, ain't he? He's sitting on his throne, man. He is the ruler of the greatest nation, if you will. The, the, the people group. He's in the, in, the, in the great city of Nineveh. And yet even he, when he heard the fear of God, gripped him in such a way that he literally got off of his throne. He took his robe. And it says that he laid it aside. And instead he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. As he realized, he's no king. God's king. Church, we know Jesus Christ is king. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming again. Too many of us are on our thrones. Can I, can I, can I just preach a little bit here? What are you going to do? 
I've been waiting to use that one, Tyson. We learned that in that minute. What are you going to, what are, anyway. <clears throat> Better than a dry sermon. <clears throat> Guys, think about it for a second. The king gets off of his throne, he lays aside his robe, and he covers himself with sackcloth. Now, we're going to look at sackcloth here in just a second, but he covers himself in ashes. This is, this is a, 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 a humility. This is a humbling of oneself. This is a recognizing, I'm nothing, man. I'm a nobody. And yet, oftentimes in our own struggles, guys, you know what? 99% of the times when I deal in counseling and people will come through my office doors and anybody who's come through my office doors to talk to me about these things, it's the same thing. Those of you who sat in our Sunday school training, it's the same thing. Guys, because this is the same thing. This is our problem in life. Basic Christianity, carnal Christians, we all have the same problem. We're on the throne of our life and we need to get off the throne of our life and let Christ have his rightful place in our life. When we live Christ-centered lives, Christ is on the throne of our lives. And so therefore, I'm obedient to hear His Word. I believe His Word. And most conflicts that we face in our marriages, most conflicts and struggles that you and I battle with, whatever you're battling with this morning, whatever the sins are that so easily trip you, it's because we're living self-centered lives, not Christ-centered lives. Because when we, we get ourselves off of the throne and we get our eyes on Christ and we begin to let Him have His reign, I yield to Him, Ephesians 5, which helps me to yield to others, Ephesians 5, then we're most like Christ then. That's when God begins to work in us and through us because this relationship gets right. And now I begin to see things around me, not in the way Jeremy wants it done, not because I think this is what needs to happen, but because I recognize, thus saith the Lord, this is best. And so if I'm going to love my wife, I need to love my wife as Christ loves the church. That's a sacrificial love. That means I've got to lay down some of my desires and wants at times, right? That means that when my wife's living that Christ-centered life, that she recognizes that I need to respect my husband. That when children are living Christ-centered lives, that they recognize that I need to obey my parents in the Lord, for this is right. It means that churches submit to their leaders because it's for their joy. And to not is unprofitable. Now wives, don't answer this. Has your husband ever made a decision in leadership in your home that you just did not agree with? Don't answer out loud. Please don't elbow them either. <laughs> The world doesn't understand this. The crowd doesn't understand this level of, of submission. And it's not blind submission. I can assure you, my wife, because we have this relationship, she pours out her heart to me in decisions that I'm making. And she lets me know if she thinks it's a good or bad decision. I love her for that. 
that I know there's such a relationship that we can be transparent and open and share those concerns and have those open conversations. And sometimes I'm boneheaded. I know that comes as a shock to a lot of you. And that I'm, I will step out and do something in, in leading only to find out I should have listened to my wife. And in those moments, if I'm Christ-centered, not self-centered, if I'm self-centered, the, the pride keeps me from saying, honey, I'm, I'm sorry, You're, you, you were right. The Christ-centered helps me say, you know what, honey, I'm sorry, I should have listened to you. You were right. And so my wife, if she's being self-centered, she says, I know, I tried to tell you, but you didn't listen. Now, she doesn't do that. She is, when she is Christ-centered, she says, Honey, I support you. I love you. Even when you make boneheaded mistakes. Guess what happens the next time I've got a major decision to weigh? Honey, what do you think about this? You see, guys, Christ-centered living is about yielding. It's first about yielding to what God wants us to do. And that comes through His Word. And so Jonah was resisting Christ-centered living, if you will. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. He tried to flee the presence of what God wanted in his life. But when the Word came to him a second time, he arose. He's ready to listen now. And sometimes we've got to go through some junk before God gets our attention. Those whom God loves, He chastens. And some of us experience these things in our life. Because if you're a child of His, you will. And so hopefully we hear and we heed that voice and we obey His word. And so we move out a second time, if you will, in obedience. Christ-centered living is where we need to be. The crowd, the people of Nineveh, the, the crown, the king, He laid aside... His throne. And some of us need to do that this morning. Quite honestly, some of us need to lay aside our throne and we need to let Christ have His reign and His rule. We don't have the big picture. We don't have the whole. We don't see what God is doing in, in certain circumstances and situations. Only God does. Even Look, guys, even, think about this. for a second. This, this, help, this helps me kind of understand things. I, I'm just a simplistic guy. I often make the statement, I am thankful I don't know everything that our government knows. You ever stop and think about that? Think about it right now, like our president and our Congress and, and the leaders of our country. A lot of them, they know a lot of behind-the-scenes information. You and I don't have a clue what's really going on, right? Now, we'll chime in and give our armchair quarterback comments. I do the same. We all do that, right? And we should. We're the people of this nation. I get it. That's cool. Not a problem. But if we had that information in its entirety that they have, whoo, man, we might have a different view, right? I mean, I'm just saying we might have a different understanding. I'm thankful we don't because I think a lot of us would live in panic and fear if we knew of all the potential threats and problems and things that they face every day and the situations they have to deal with. And this is why we must pray for our leaders, right? Very important. It's no different, guys, in, in a church. It's no different in a home, children. Right? But when God 
is on the throne. That always leads to fruitfulness. That's always best. Well, the crowd believed God. And they proclaimed a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. And then the word came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid aside his robe. Now I'm going to take a little spiritual liberty here. Sometimes we need to cast off those self-righteous garments, don't we, church? When how we look at the lost man. I was reading a very interesting uh, <laughs> social media feed, a thread. It ran into a young man, and God put him in my path uh, years back at Starbucks. You know, you can actually do some, some good witnessing, have even a little church in a place like Starbucks. It's expensive, but hey, you can still witness there, right? Anywhere you want to go, the gospel goes with you. Well, ended up meeting this young man. I was reading a John MacArthur book on uh, Jesus is the go Jesus, uh, gospel according to Jesus. And um, he was a young man of a different denomination, had a great conversation. Just, uh, we sat together, and anyway, ended up just prompted to give him the book. And so I gave him the book. Fast forward, ran into him sometime later. Of course, we connected on social media, and, and uh, he said, I read the book. Interesting. You know, when somebody says interesting, <laughs> you don't know how to take that one. Hmm, what do you mean by that? But anyway. But God's continued to put this young man in my path. Oftentimes I go places. He's uh, been serving the Lord in ministry. He recently left the Methodist church because of all the recent issues going on. I won't name the church, won't name the young man. But I wasn't sure what that meant. Ran into him at Starbucks the other day. Um, went and saw the O'Hara's up there. And, then, and he uh, greeted me at the door. The guy did and said, hey, this is where we met. Give him a hug, talk to him briefly. But he said, I left the Methodist church because of, for his, this was his words, because of the gospel. Praise the Lord. Didn't know what that meant at first. We got to thinking about it. My wife and I were second guessing it. So today I'm reading his thread this morning early and I'm like going back through the timeline doing all this stuff was happening with the Methodist church. See if we can get a feel for why he left. You know, was he, you know, which side of the fence are you coming down on in this thing? But as I began to read, it was because he was taking a stand for the truth of Scripture. He was proclaiming the authority of Scripture when it comes to certain sins that our culture seems to be struggling with. But he did a great job of carrying a balance of grace and judgment. And he continued to repeat over and over again. These are not my words. In essence, he was saying, this is what God says. And if God's saying it, it's for a reason, and it's for your good, and it's because of mercy, it's because of grace that I proclaim this to you. 
How awesome would it be the culture that's rejecting our message, the culture of the LGBTQT, the, the abortion culture that we're in today, those that are uh, uh, of many different religious backgrounds and many atheistic views, uh, those that are saturating our culture and flooding into our country. What if, church, we arose and actually obeyed the Word and went to them with the Gospel. And in the call for repentance, gave mercy, grace. The people of Nineveh believed God. The king believed God. It's not on you, church. It's on us to proclaim it. It's on us to take it. But even that is not in self-willment. That is of the power of God. That's in obedience to what God has commanded us. And if He has called us to do it, you can assure He will give you the power to take it. He will fill you with the power to communicate it. And it's in His power we must rest. And the king covered himself with sackcloth. I know you can't see that. Oh, you can see it up here. I can't see it back there. He covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. He went from sitting on the throne to sitting in ashes. I mean, guys, this is a picture of humility. Church, we need... We need to revisit humility. Sackcloth and the ashes were used as an outward sign of one's inward condition. There were these like uh, potato sacks that you've seen, gurney sacks, uh, uh, very coarse material, often made out of goat hair, and it was just not comfortable at all. And it's reflective of, again, where we're at in the inward man. When you see this in the Old Testament Scripture, when you see this oftentimes that they, they covered themselves in sackcloth, they sat in ashes, they tore their garments. These are cries from a transformed heart. This is an outward showing of what's happening on the inside. And church, I'm a firm believer that when we get off of our thrones, when we lay aside our robes of self-righteousness, when we set in humility... Sometimes that's giving up our comforts. But the evidence of that fruit should be clear in our life. And so it was here. Now we see the communication. It says that the king rose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying... And, and, and so he takes this, he talks it over with his crew and says, look, we got to get the word out, man. 
and they published it. So they proclaimed it and they published it. I love it when people get on fire for God, man. They want to proclaim it. They want to publish it. Church, how about let's go home today and this week. Why don't we proclaim it and why don't we publish it? Why don't we let the folks know what God's doing in our life? Why don't we talk about with those around us the things that God's doing? Let's communicate that to others. We see that it was by the decree of the king and the nobles throughout Nineveh. Okay, I think it was the people that brought it to the king, but now you notice the king's bringing it to the people. You see this top-down leadership going on here now, right? Pray for you, pastors. Pray for your leaders of your church. We'll be your examples. That as Paul said, that if you see any good, it's not me, it's Christ in me. That I can say, hey, as I go, follow me. Not because of Jeremy on his throne, not because of Jeremy in his own self-righteous wardrobe. No, but because the prayers of the saints have been heard. The cry of the people that went up to God, the cry of this individual's heart, the cry of your individual heart is calling out to a holy God who sits, hears, and delights to hear from His children. Who's ready to meet that repentance with grace. And that that'll set an example, that that'll lead, that this church, that we will arise and we will follow as Christ leads. And so we see that here in this text in Jonah 3, 7 through 9. Notice the decree, what it says. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Cry mightily to God. When's the last time you cried mightily to God? Has there been a time in your life where you just were so torn to the core that you just, you just pleaded with God? And that's what happens here. This is part of that decree that's going out. Church, I, dec- I want to decree today. I want to say, let's all go cry to the Lord mightily. Let's all say it. And listen, I'm no, <laughs> I'm no king. But I represent one. And he's mighty. And he's worthy to be praised. He is worthy for us to proclaim. He is worthy for us to publish. He is worthy for us to say and cry out mightily to him. He is worthy. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Individual repentance is what leads to revival. And so we got to stop looking at them and getting our eyes off of those guys. And we need to look at self and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm the problem in this church. Not those guys. I'm the problem in this community. Not the townspeople. I'm the problem in this country. Not the president. Judgment begins in the house of God. And if I begin to 
judge myself according to Scripture, I miss the mark. And I find the grace in Christ. And I find my identity in Christ. And the people of God do the same. And all of a sudden, one coal sparks, and then another one catches fire, and then another one catches fire. And all of a sudden, we're blazing, church. And now all of a sudden, it's moving from one part of the city into the other part of the city to eventually it reaches the halls of Congress and the presidency. And then all of a sudden, man, we got a trickle-down effect. Sorry if there's any socialists in here. Trickle-down effect works. It's in the Bible. I'm going to stop here, but I want you to think about this question. Oh, how are you going to do that to me, Pastor? Sorry, bring you back next week. Does this make Jonah a false prophet? <gasps> what do you mean, Pastor? Well, let me, let me tee it up a little bit. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Did they get overthrown? What happened? Did God change his mind? I didn't think God could change. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. He doesn't change. We're going to answer these questions next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that Jonah arose and he obeyed it. Thank you that Nineveh sat in their repentance that the crowd believed it, the crown believed it, and they communicated, they proclaimed, and they published this. And Lord, I pray that you will have your will and way in our life, that we too would not be fearful to take the gospel to the crowd, to the crown, that we'll communicate it in hopes that they might believe the word, But Lord, let it start with us. We're the Jonas in this story. Every single one of us. And Lord, wherever we're running, get our attention. Wherever we're seeking to flee your presence, we can't. Lord, prepare the fish that'll... Turn us around. And I, I hesitate to pray that, but yet at the same time, not my will be done. Thy will be done. God, I'd rather be in the center of your will with struggles, strife, conflict, yet inner peace than to have the comfort, the joys of the happiness of the world around us, not joy, because happiness is more based on our happenings. And have the peace and joy of the internal man because of right relationship with you. Lord, help us to have Christ-centered living and that the fruit of our life would be such that it impacts not just our life, our home, but Lord, beyond our walls, to the community, to the nation, and to the world. 
for the sake of the gospel, for the cause of Christ. So Lord, help us to appropriate this message as you lead and see fit in our life today. As we reflect on it, may we go out of here different than how we came in. Ready to share our faith. Ready to not meet the culture around us with harsh judgment. But with mercy and grace. In the midst of a world that's abiding under the wrath to come. May we proclaim that good news. And we'll ask it all in the name that enables us to do what we are called to do. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And for his sake we pray. Amen.